This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. All right, James, Everton let you down over the weekend against Millwall in the FA Cup. I was I was lucky enough to be spared. But they rebounded on Tuesday, yesterday, with a 1-0 win against Huddersfield away. How are you feeling? I'll take anything I can get at this point. Any small molecule of joy that Everton can bring me, I'm fully willing to accept that, even if it means a ugly 1-0 win against a really, really, really bad Huddersfield team. Um, debut for their new manager at home. I'm sure they were hoping for a better result. Kind of unfortunate. I heard on the broadcast yesterday that they've lost, I think it's now nine. It was eight at the time. Eight or nine games by one goal. So really tough season for them, but they're going down. I have no doubts about that. And I'll take the one no win. Alex, what are your thoughts? Same thing, right? An ugly win is a win. Beggars can't be choosers. It's just important that we got the three points. And just like that, you look at the table after match week 24 and Everton are in eighth place. Absolutely bonkers is the way to describe it. And it does remind me of last season a little bit where like we're so bad and every week, not as bad as last season, but so bad week in, week out. And yet somehow you look at the table, it's like, how are we up here? This doesn't make any sense. And then you look at the other team is like, oh, it's because everyone else is also pretty bad. Um, or you can make the argument, I've seen it made on Twitter, that it's the best league and most competitive league in the world and that anyone can beat anyone on any given day. Um, not necessarily, I don't know if I buy into that, but but yeah, eighth place, three points, or two points rather, off Wolves now, who we face Saturday. Um, looking forward to that game to some degree, but there were still a lot of problems that we saw um, from Everton. And the lineup that we named Noah Drisa Gay, who I'm not sure there's been some conflicting reports about whether or not he's handed in a transfer request. There have been official reports that PSG have bid for him. The, the initial bid was 20 something. And now allegedly they've upped it to 30. Um, also some reports that Marco Silva has threatened to resign. If gay is sold, Alex, how are you feeling about the Adrisa gay transfer saga? I think all of it's stupid, right? Okay. I know if I feel very confident in saying that, PSG have handed or have made a bid for Ghana, at least one, maybe two, right? I can tell you right now that Marcos Silva has never said that he's going to resign if Ghana is sold. That's just something super ignorant coming from a paper in France who allegedly have some type of insider in the Everton boardroom, right? Wrong. Okay, that's not true. It's super annoying. You see it all over Everton Twitter now. People talking about, oh, Marco Silva already doesn't have a very good CV. Think about what happens when he leaves Everton. That's just garbage. In terms of Ghana actually leaving, right? Or, you know, they said he had a slight injury, which kept him out of the team. If he, if PSG are offering the money and he turned into transfer request, my feelings are not hurt by it. Here's why. He's 29 years old. He'll be 30 next season, right? I think actually towards the beginning of the season, if not to start the season, he deserves to go play football for Paris. Why not go play with the likes of Neymar and, and Di Maria and, and win some trophies and play in the champions league. This is his last shot at going to do that. And that's, that shouldn't feel personal. 
because he gave us essentially from a physical standpoint, his most formidable years. He tried his best and that's all we can ask for. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with the reports. The, the reports that came out today about Marco Silva threatening to resign have to be considered absolutely ludicrous. There's been nothing, no indication from him in any of his comments that that is something he'd consider. Um, of course, what goes on behind closed doors is is not something we're privy to, but it just seems very, you know, drama um, drummed up by the media in order to f- sell and get clicks, all the all that type of stuff. As far as Ghana leaving, I'm with you. 29 years old. If we were to sell him for the reported 30 million, I say get the deal done at this point. We would over, over over quadruple the amount of money that we paid for him, which has to be considered a phenomenal return for a player who is past his prime or going to be past his prime very soon. Been a great servant to the club, been one of our best players for many games throughout the, the two years that he spent with us. Um, but at this point, if we're looking to rebuild, we know that he doesn't fit the profile that Marco Silva is looking for. So if you can get that $30 million, I say run with it, let him go. And we've talked about it, but not much really left to play for this season. And I'm all for just kind of, I don't even really care if we if we qualify for Europe because I don't really think that that's going to benefit us all that much next season because of the expansion to the squad that we would need and all those things. But we don't have to get too far into that. But I say, yeah, if, he, if we can get 30 mil, let him go. We'll be sad to see him go because I like him as a player and he seems like a good character in the locker room. But you just can't turn that amount of money down considering the seven million initial investment we made. Exactly. So let's get into the post match and this will feed itself pretty into a nice conversation about the midfield without Ghana. So we started, we had a couple of changes, and, and the notable ones were Jank Tosin started up top after coming on as a substitute on the weekend against Millwall and scoring a goal. Leighton Baines started at left back, giving Luca Dean a rest. And then Tom Davies came in to the midfield for Ghana. What did you think about the start? Those those three specifically. I think starting? it was good to see Marco Silva switch things up. I think it's been kind of long overdue. He's kind of persevered with naming rel- basically the same side week in, week out which you have to think, from what he's seen, he thinks it's his best side. But it just hasn't been coming off. The results aren't there. Everything looked kind of stale. Players looked tired, it, unable to to complete even like the most basic passes. And so bring some fresh legs in. Leighton Baines comes in. I thought he had a relatively good game before being injured. Jenk Tosin gets another look at the starting lineup, probably long overdue, kind of just a carousel of trying something new up top very frequently it's funny because i just see this trend where a player comes on as a sub looks decent tosin of course scored last weekend and then they get a start and um then he had a actually pretty you know hard-working performance exactly what we've needed showed a little bit of grit pressed really hard did those types of things really well and i think he earned himself a, a another start um against wolves at the weekend and then tom davies Finally, um, again, the opposition has to be considered, but by all accounts had a really, really strong game, looked confident um, alongside uh, alongside Sigurdsson and Gomez. Not really the type of midfield I think we can afford in against better opposition, but looked pretty comfortable, hardworking, and I was pretty pleased overall. So let's talk about the bench, right? 
I I noticed a couple things. So McCarthy, James McCarthy made the bench, which is really exciting. I know a lot of Everton fans really like him. But the interesting point was he's been out for so long, and yet he made the bench over Morgan Schneiderlin and Benny Beningami. What do you think about that? I think it shows he's getting closer and closer to full fitness, and perhaps in training, the more Marco Silva sees him, the more he believes that maybe he can do a job. Whatever's happened to Morgan Schneiderlin, Morgan Schneiderlin um, his wage is 120 k a week. We can't get rid of him fast enough, in my opinion. Not worth the money for the quality of player that we get. And we know James McCarthy, whether his his ability has been hindered from the horrific injury he's he's been through, I think it's inevitable that that will be the case. But we know he has heart and we know he has fight and that he'll fight for the shirt when he's on the field. So I'm looking forward to seeing him given a shot on the field in the near future. And Benny Beningami, I think if we like on a go, can play an important role for us as well, getting some getting some game time for the rest of the year. I agree with all that. And then in terms of center back, Jags and Mina are both hurt. And yet we did not see Morgan Feeney, who's been training with the first team, step up into the 18 as a third center back. Do you think, and my thought process was, well, he had Luca Dean on the bench who has said he can play center back. He doesn't prefer it, but he can do it. Do you think that kind of was this was his reasoning among the fact that he just probably wanted a couple more attackers in the line? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there in that Marco Silva tends to not select very many defensive substitutes on the bench because it he's not expecting us to have to make them. Um, for the most part, his substitutions this season have been very aggressive, very attacking. I just don't think you need to devote you know three or four spots on the bench to, to defensive players because realistically, I mean this. Unfortunately, it came to be that we needed a lot of defensive substitutions due to the red card and the injury. But generally speaking, that's not something you would need to do. Um, and especially against Huddersfield, you, you're not going to be expecting to sub off center backs. So I think that's more to do with it than anything else. I've, I've heard very good things about Morgan Feeney. Haven't seen too much of him play, but I think he's a very good prospect. And again, I think at this point, we mind like, what do we have to lose? We're not going down. We're probably not going to qualify for Europe. So let's just give the kids a chance. Let them develop. Let's use the season as a springboard into next season and build off of it and see where we can go. That's where I'm at with Feeney. What about you? Yeah, mindset is spot on, right? So let's move into kind of some more specifics on the match. So let's talk about the midfield, right? So the midfield three of Gomez, Sigurdsson, and Davies. We saw it was an interesting dynamic, and I really, really liked what I saw because it was an in, it was inverted from the usual shape. So instead, usually we see Ghana Gomez sit kind of flat, and then we see Sigurdsson at the tip playing that general attacking midfield role. Well, this time we saw Gomez kind of sit by himself in front of the back four, and then we saw Sigurdsson and Davies kind of occupying at the same level further forward, and they were really instrumental in the press. Davies was my man of the match. I think he was voted overall man of the match. He pressed really hard. And I thought with the range of passing we had via all three of those players that the midfield looked really fluid. Yeah, it's a a very different dynamic when you have a player who can actually pass the ball uh, playing in that third midfield role versus Idris Gay, and a player who is looking to make aggressive attacking runs as well, like that run he made for the first goal. That's never a run that you're going to see Gay make where he's going to the opposite touchline and looking to cut things back like he's rarely inside the 18 much less 
inside the opposition six, you know, uh, that far down. So I do agree that those three give us much more fluidity. There's much more interchange that can go on as far as switching position positionally. And I'm not opposed to seeing that again at the weekend. I do think that the the defensive uh, capabilities of those three players in combination might be a bit of an issue against a side that can attack and break teams down like Wolves who play very fluidly. But as far as working against Huddersfield, worked like a dream for the most part. Um, just the overall skill and, and ability to facilitate ball movement was very pleasing to see. And Tom Davies, after having been yanked off at halftime of the Lincoln City game the last time he played, very good to see him come back with a confident display. Here's what I'll say to to the Tom Davy haters. Everyone knows that I'm I'm a big fan, right? But my point is, when he's played this season, he's been operating in that Gomez role, which was sitting right next to Ghana. And in that system, if you pay really close attention, neither one of those players in that four two three one out of possession have any freedom whatsoever to kind of move, right? You see them both essentially occupying the same space. Well, when you saw this kind of inverted midfield three, Tom Davies and Sigurdsson were essentially given all the freedom they could come up with, right? Sigurdsson, you saw him push forward and he was working in a nice triangle with Cenk Tosin and Richarlison on the left. And then Tom Davies was working in a nice triangle, mostly with Bernard and Coleman on the right. And so I think that it just suits Tom Davies' game better, right? And to me, that's okay. In terms of defensive prowess, now stats don't always tell the whole story, but Everton had 25 tackles in this match without a defensive midfielder. That doesn't seem too shabby, does no, it? No, definitely not. And, and again, it comes back to this is probably the worst team in the division and we only were able to beat them 1-0. Didn't look dominant. Didn't look, you know, looked good, but not dominant as as would be expected of a team sitting in seventh. But again, it's the Premier League, so what are you going to do? Um, I still think that in certain games, it's going to be important to have that type of defensively minded player to sit in front of the defense, um, especially with the way that we play so high up with our defenders, with our outside backs getting up, getting involved in the attack. You need to have some sort of stopgap between the midfield and the defense and and. I don't know who's going to fill that role, but I, I'm optimistic for Tom Davies, and, and the, it just goes to show the people who are willing to write off a 20-year-old in his, what, is this his third season now, in, in the first team, I think he can be a very, very good player. Not just a regular squad rotation player, but a really good player by the time he's 22 or 23. I think he already, um, he doesn't have quite the, the dynamism that a Ross Barkley might have had, but hardworking really good person by all accounts and so i'm hopeful for whatever we're able to do with the midfield it's not looking like we're going to bring anybody in especially in the midfield role um so if ghana leaves it opens up a big hole and someone's got to fill it so i'm looking forward to seeing how that whole dynamic plays out um, moving on to some other players both michael Keane and kurt zuma continue to flourish together as a partnership alex were you impressed by them what do you think Absolutely right. They've been the best defensive partnership we've had this season. We're seeing Yeri Mina have kind of a tough time 
getting used to the league and the system, and that's okay. That's kind of expected. He just set a really high bar for himself playing against Chelsea and winning man of the match. Keane and Zuma were both very strong in the air. Both of them were brave. They should good, showed good awareness in terms of themselves, the opposition, but also their teammates. So overall, literally nothing to complain about. Yeah, it's good to see that that partnership, without question, our best that we've had. And I'm still fully on board the signed Kurt Zuma train. Choo-choo. Let's get him signed up if he's willing to come to us. I know that there are many reports saying he still believes he has a future at Chelsea. Why he believes that with their recent loan history of players, I don't know. But a player that I think could do a job for us for years to come. Still pretty young. Going to be, you'd think, in and around the France national team for years to come as well. So get him on board. That partnership looks to be very, very good. And Yerry Mina has some work to do to displace one of them on a regular basis. Uh, Let's talk about the left-back situation because Leighton Baines got hurt shortly after halftime. Luca Dean came on and was promptly sent off for a quote-unquote professional foul, preventing what would have likely been an equalizing goal. And so now we're without a left-back for the Wolves game. But specifically, what did you think of Leighton Baines' performance and then Luca Dean before he was sent off? I thought Leighton Baines looked as good as ever. His defensive prowess, I think, still shows that he's slightly better than Luca Dean on that side of the ball. Honestly, they're still probably pretty even in an attacking sense as well. People prefer Luca Dean because of the fact that he's younger, he's quicker now, he's got more stamina because of the fact that he's not 34 years old. But Leighton Baines continues to show us that he's been one of, if not the best left back in the league for a good while. And he's still very dependable. Now, Luca Dean, I thought he did okay. He was only on the pitch for less than 12 minutes. Now, I think it was poor from him to let the attacker get in behind for that through ball. He shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. That has to be said, unfortunately. But what I will say is, Upon further review, and a lot of fans talking about, you know, claiming it was a professional foul, he did a great job. You see that he's running directly behind the opposition player. And I think he consciously makes the decision literally two yards outside of the 18 yard box to just go ahead, clip the heels, make it look like an accident, and just hope by the grace of God that, you know, it's not a red card. Obviously, it's a red card, but they have a free kick instead of a penalty kick. And I think he's just taking one for the team, essentially. What do you think? I'm kind of torn on it. I don't know if it's exactly, if it was totally intentional. I think it's possible that he was just closing down and maybe a heel came up and clipped. Um, certainly a red card without question. I mean, he he didn't even, he knew it was coming immediately. Unfortunately, it was his error that led to the player being in on goal. And you can see in the replay, he kind of just it's a momentary lapse and he turns the wrong way and then the player makes a really well-timed run and I think you kind of have to foul at that point because not only is he in on goal but he's in on goal like dead center and so there's really no way for Pickford to have he could have he had a Pickford actually had a couple really really nice saves but in that situation that's a goal probably nine times out of ten even if it is Huddersfield 
And so I think you, I think you have to foul. And unfortunately, it made it put us in a bad position due to the timing and the amount of time left in the game, and we were kind of on our heels for the remainder of the match. And also the the suspension that comes with that, on top of the injury to Leighton Baines, is a problem. But overall, it's hard to fault him because at least he did it outside the area. That being said, I was petrified. Wolves flashbacks to us conceding that a similar free kick after a red card and just giving up that free kick goal. Luckily, that wasn't the case, and we managed to hold on. And so uh, it's hard to fault him, really, in, in the end, because I think that it would have been an equalizing goal, and I think we would have really struggled to score after that. So let me ask you a question. Let's say, hypothetically, he absolutely did mean to foul, right? A, a, a professional foul. And we're seeing all these fans applaud him for, quote-unquote, taking one for the team, you know, making a tough decision, right? I want you to tell me, do you think that would be the same response from the fans if Michael Keane or Seamus Coleman? Oh, did there that? would be calls for Seamus Coleman's head, no doubt. I think Luca Dean has built up enough of a enough goodwill with the fan base that he's kind of afforded a couple lapses, and and he has had those lapses over the last couple games, and it hasn't been his best run of form, but still been one of our best players throughout the course of the season. Uh, Michael Keane, I don't know about Michael Keane. I think the questions being asked of our center, central defenders are valid. There have been times where they have had you know lapses in judgment, specifically off of set pieces. Um, but I think Michael Keane is another one who has had, in every regard, a really good bounce-back season, probably our most improved player from last year. And so... I think, you know, Coleman, people are always going to be looking for reasons to to slate off Seamus Coleman because of the context of the year and where we're going as a team and the fact that he's a little bit past his best. But um, I I think it's a good question and and a valid, valid point as well. I just I don't I don't know if I necessarily think that the response would be I guess it depends on the general fan base view on the player. Right. Notice how I chose those two instead of Kurt Zuma because Kurt Zuma has been fantastic pretty much all season as well. But let's move on to the players up top, right? We had Jenk Tosin in the middle, Richarlison on the left, Bernard on the right. I personally thought Jenk Tosin looked really good up until he was pulled off after going down to 10 men. He had really great work rate, which in my opinion should be a prerequisite for every player on the pitch. He had really good hold up play, which is which has been lacking from Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. But the one thing that he brings that the other two don't are his kind of clever ways he can attempt to connect with players, maybe midfield players making a later run or his wingers, right? He has pretty good technique and he's able to try to kind of flick the ball. We didn't see any of it come off, but what did you think about his 50 to 60 minutes on the I pitch? agree. I thought he looked really good. And as far as the work rate stuff, I don't think it's ever really been called into question his work rate. He's always been a player who fights really hard. The The critiques of him have always been that well, his, his skill set just isn't what we need. Similar to like an Umar Nias, but he's, of course, a much better player overall. Um, I remember when we first signed him, and this is kind of just kind of a tangent, but I saw a, a post on Reddit, I think it was, from a Basictus fan who talked about how Cenk wasn't their first choice striker for a long time, and he just continued to work tirelessly to get into the first team. 
And I think it just speaks to what a really, really solid character he is in the locker room and off the field and just as a person. Um, and that is in conjunction with the reports that come came out that you know he had a lot of offers to leave this month and he turned them all down because he wants to stay and fight for his place at Everton. I think that's very commendable. And he's on significantly high wages, so he's, of course, not going to really want to give that up with a transfer where he presumably would be making less. But he's a different striker than Dominic Calvert-Lewin and much, much different than Richarlison. And in a game where we need that hold-up play, he's our best option, and, and he can score goals. So I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, we were playing really well, and he was up there, and he was doing a good job, and people were saying, you know, this, this can probably work. And I still think that that can be the case. I think he can, if he's given a chance and we're patient, he can do a very good job for the team. He's not where he's not the striker that we want, but he's the striker we have. And I think we have to make the best of it. And I think he's the right type of profile and, and character that fans can really embrace. Well said, James. I love the positivity. So let's talk about Richarlison. Richarlison was back out on the left and I thought he was a lot better on the left. You can tell that he's much happier playing on the left. Obviously, he scored his goal by kind of coming in field when the play was further out right. The only thing I didn't understand, and this is kind of on Silva, when we go down to 10 men, we get the red, or we get the red card, go down to 10 men. And so he has to sub on John Joe Kenny, but he takes off Jenk Tosin which is okay, right? He he hasn't had much math, match fitness recently. But instead of, you know, trying to play Calvert-Lewin up top for his hold-up play, his height, he sticks for Charleston up top. Why do you think that is? It's kind of bizarre. I know Silva mentioned in his post-match comments that generally he would want to bring on like a Theo Walcott for the counterattack potential. Of course, at that point, I think it's kind of just filler because we were put in such an awkward position having to both of our left backs go out. And I agree that it probably should have been Calvert-Lewin up top, but then you just look, you're just looking for players to run into space and run into the channels and maybe receive a long ball. You're not looking for any kind of hold up or build up play per se. And so while tactically it wasn't, wasn't necessarily what I might do, it ended up being okay. And we won the game. So it, I, I, I'm not going to over be overly critical because I think Richardson eventually could become a good good striker. But of course, right now it's it's very 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 apparent that he is much much better on the left. And the goal he scored now 11 goals in all competitions this season, excellent, excellent. And I hope he can get to you know above 15, maybe closer to the 20 mark. We'll see how that goes. What do you, what did you think about the decision to play him up top? I understood, I guess, from the perspective you were talking about, right, counterattack potential. But what confuses me, and I, and it's always easier, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We sat there for essentially the next 20 minutes until Calvert-Lewin came on. Jordan Pickford would hoof the ball upfield or one of the center backs would clear it. Richarlison would attempt to win it, right? He loses the header and possession is recycled. And that just continues to invite pressure. So while I understand the counterattacking piece, then maybe take off Bernard, bring on Calvert-Lewin, and then at least you have someone that can trap the ball, and then you still have Richarlison that can try to make runs. But nonetheless, 
I thought he looked pretty good. I personally thought Bernard probably had one of the worst performances. And that it wasn't terrible, but you can tell he doesn't really like playing on the right. And you know what? That's okay, because as we said earlier, the season is about seeing exactly what you have, working in the market to get rid of players because we still have overstuffed books and seeing where we can go. Moving on now, we're going to talk just really briefly about the match on Saturday against Wolverhampton Wanderers. The the reverse fixture from our debut match of the season where, of course, we drew 2-2 at Molyneux. Wolves are on quite the tear, Alex. 19 points from their last 10 matches, more than Manchester City and more than Arsenal. That's pretty frightening considering where we're at, at in terms of the fragility of our confidence and our momentum as a squad. It's actually crazy because the last 10 matches have probably been our worst, and it turns out that it's been the opposite for Wolves. Now, here's what I will say. This game is at Goodison Park. We have a bone to pick from the season opener because the 2-2 scoreline was garbage. Jagielka's red card should not have been a red card. Furthermore, they took the free kick about 10 yards further forward than it should have been taken from the foul that Jagielka got the red card for. So, in my opinion, this match comes down to the fans at Goodison Park. Can they get Goodison Park jumping from the start? Can they halt their sarcastic hoorays after clearing a set piece? Can they really cheer on the boys in blue and get them across the finish line? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that's the case. And and it always feels a bit bizarre for us to, you know, it's not meant to be sounding preachy or anything like that, but it's true. Like when we went to Molyneux, it was their first game in, in the Premier League. That place was bouncing. It was rocking. And we managed to get a you know, a draw that probably should have been a win. This time around, they're in great form. We're in really poor form. So it's important. I think the crowd, and not even, it doesn't even have to be like a crazy wild atmosphere, but it just has to be a positive one where the crowd is behind the team because I think I think that really plays more of an effect than people give it credit. Like when you've got players, young players too, especially Tom Davies and, you know, local players, but any any player, and you're afraid to make a mistake because the crowd is going to get on your back. And it, it reminds me or or it reminds me of the, the comments that Nikola Vlas- Vlasic recently made where he said that the players were terrified of the fans. And that's not what, you know, Everton is about. It shouldn't be what any club is about and what any fan base should be about the fans should be going to the game and watching the game to support the team. It's not about, and and they demand a certain level of effort and they demand a certain level of quality in the play. But at the end of the day, it's the team. They're doing all the work and it's about supporting them and helping them get the win in any way that you can, as marginal as it may be, it does make a difference. Absolutely does. So let's talk about, the lineups real quick. So let's assume that Leighton Baines is still injured on Saturday. Is John Joe Kenny the one that steps in at left back? It's it's a really tough problem for Marco Silva if Leighton Baines can't play. There are talks about Brendan Galloway perhaps stepping up from the U23s and coming in. Um, other than that, I, I don't know really what we're going to do. You could do a straight-up three-at-the-back formation 
with a, with a John Joe Kenny or Seamus Coleman on the right. And then I really just don't know what you do on the left because you can't play like a Richarlison or a Bernard at a true left midfield role because they just they don't really do that defensive job well enough. And I think we'd be very exposed. I'm kind of at a loss. I don't really know what he does. And I'm, I'm really, really interested when the lineup is named on Saturday to see what he goes with. I don't know. Do you have any kind of inkling about what 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 do you suspect he's going to go with? Well, initially, after the match yesterday, my first thought was that he could pull a 3-5-2 or something of the like. And I find it probably more likely that he's just going to plug John Joe Kenny in there. Obviously, there's not very much balance on the left-hand side with a right-footed player. Shout out Kuko Martina. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a targeted position for the opposition no matter what. And so we're just going to have to bring the goods. So midfield, right? Assuming none of the midfielders plug in there, which could be a possibility, do you like the same midfield three and the same setup of the midfield three for Saturday as we saw yesterday? I think so. I think you kind of go with it. I don't think that given what we've seen in the past few squads that have been named, I don't think Morgan Schneiderlin would come directly back in having not even been a sub. And we won, so it seems like when we win, Silva is more inclined to stick with the same team and make fewer changes. So as far as the midfield is concerned, I would be surprised if he switched it up. I think he's going to stick with it. So I think we can both agree that Jank Tosin is going to get his start. We know that Richarlison is going to stay in the lineup as well, right? There's no reason to drop Richarlison or Jank Tosin. Am I, am I safe to assume both of those things are true yep, for you as well, I'm 100% James? on board with that. So let's talk about the right forward position. Who do you think it is? I thought it was... Or who do you want it to be? I thought it was harsh for him to drop Adam Lookman, um, just based on his performance at Millwall. I thought he was one of our better players, despite the, <laughs> if you listen to my post-match reaction, the abysmal result that left me feeling depressed. Luckily, Everton managed to, to pull points out and sort of bring me back and focus focus me a little bit. I think, it, I think it was harsh to drop him, and so I'd expect it was probably due more to fatigue and giving him a rest than anything else. I'd like to see him come back in on the right-hand side and probably Theo Walcott come on to the come into the bench and maybe come on as a substitute sometime in the second half. What about you? Agree with you absolutely. And I'll even throw a slight caveat out there that if for some reason Jake Tosin needs to be pulled again and we go for some type of counterattacking measure, that's when you sub on Theo Walcott and play him through the middle because his timing of his runs and his positioning and, and being able to split the two center backs is very, very good. And he could do a job there as well. All right. Well, with that said, let's wrap things up, Alex. So give me the score prediction. What do you think is going to go down? I'm going to give you a 2-1 win for Everton at Goodison Park. Wolves are in seventh place, two points above us. It will propel us into a European spot, James, and we have everything to play for. Very, very optimistic of you. I am not letting myself get my hopes up quite that high. Um, Was reined in a little bit. I was really, really down in the dumps after Millwall. Come back to earth a little bit, but I'm still not, uh, given Wolves' recent form, and I think you know they have a very clear doctrine of how they want to play, 
I think they're they they've beaten some really really good sides in their in the last in their run of the last ten. I I don't see us beating them after we could barely scrape by Huddersfield. I'm gonna go with a two one loss, unfortunately. But I do hope to see, you know, the the positive elements of what of our play continue. Hopefully, we can at least you know string passes together, get some shots off, and if we don't win, that's fine. At this point, the season's a wash. I just want to enjoy watching the game, and I can enjoy it even when we don't win. It's just when we lose in such debilitating fashion, it really it really just exhausts you and drains you. So yeah, two one, Everton lose. You say two one, Everton win. I guess we'll figure out uh, on Saturday what the end result is. Either way, James will be out of town this weekend, so I'll be pulling solo duty, as James did a couple of days ago. I will see you right after the match on Saturday, and have a great rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.